The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Good morning. It's a joy for me to be able to be standing here this morning. In light of the fact that Scott is back, he's here, but he called me last week and asked if I would cover for him this morning. I said I'd be delighted to do that. Always a joy to be able to do that. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I have a grave fear in my heart about us as Southern Baptists. Most of us here today are regular churchgoers. In fact, we're almost professional listeners, certainly regular listeners. And that makes it all the more difficult to really hear truth. Because, again, people listen at different levels of experience. In fact, in all likelihood, we can hear great preaching and in a consistent manner and setting and still be unaffected, unchanged by it because of our allowing ourselves to be hearers of the Word and not doers. And thus we deceive ourselves. We live in deception. And this leaves me with a great fear, a grave fear. I fear that while God is moving mightily outside of this country in which we live, he's almost incapacitated within this country in which we live. It seems that heaven and hell make no difference to people anymore. The souls of men are unimportant to us, apparently. And I gravely fear that our work has become a substitute for what being a Christian is all about. Our programs, our projects, when we're supposed to be in the people business. So I want to drop in your mind this morning a a text like a pebble that's cast into a pond. And let God speak to us and then let's just be obedient to what he places in our heart to do. I'm going to take a verse out of Hosea chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you'd like to be turning to that. It's going to be on the screen. I'm using the King James Version. If you have a different version, a different translation, that's fine. Just follow along. You're going to think it's so strange that if you did not see this verse, you would not think that it was in the Bible. So listen very carefully, give your best attention, and let's just allow God to really speak to us this morning and trust him to do what you need right now, what I need right now, and what we have to have happen in our heart if we're going to be obedient to his moving, his ministering to us. I was concerned about preaching this this morning. But Ethan, after the song, I knew that we were on cue. I knew that this is what God wanted me to share this morning. So here's the text. Hosea chapter 6, verse 9. As troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests, and in brackets we could add the word commit. As troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests commit murder in the way by consent. Now what a sentence. What a, what a strange text. 
But what a strong truth. I want, to, I want you to hear it again. And you look at it again. Let me parade it past your hearing gate again. And give God a chance to make it reach home to you, to your heart. As troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests commit murder in the way by consent. As troops of robbers wait, so this is premeditated. And in our case, it would be somewhat premeditated, not nearly as much as the test, the text suggests, probably. As troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests commit murder in the way that means in their routine way of life, their daily way of doing things, of living. The company of priests commit murder in the way by consent. Probably most of us are familiar with the name Joseph Pulitzer of Pulitzer Prize fame. He had a strange mania late in his life. He had a mania for silence. He wanted to spend hours upon hours stretching sometimes into days and even into weeks, occasionally all alone in the most absolute kind of silence that he could find or fabricate. And out of that eccentricity came an even stranger eccentricity in a smaller way. He built right in the middle of New York City. He built a little building that he called his Tower of Silence. It had three layers of thicknesses in its floor. It had three layers of thicknesses in its walls and three layers of thicknesses in its ceiling. So it was said that even in downtown New York City, anyone who got in the Tower of Silence could not be heard by those outside and what was taking place inside could not be heard by those people outside. And I fear that most American Christians today have turned their faith into a tower of silence. And by that I mean they cannot hear any cry for help, cannot hear any cry of hunger, any cry for compassion from the lost, that comes from outside that tower and they very seldom speak even a mild prayer of compassion to issue forth from inside that tower and thus in effect they have turned their entire faith into a tower of silence. I want to divide this text this morning into three ideas and I want you to be sure that you really grasp these as we seek to truly see and know what God has for us. First of all, I want you to see here the crime that is specified. The crime that is specified. Right in the middle of that verse that I read and reread is this looming large word, the word murder. And that is acknowledged among us as the capital crime. The guilt of it is reflected on in the laws of men. In fact, there's not a society on earth that doesn't acknowledge the seriousness, the judgment, the condemnation deserved by the crime of murder. 
It's reflected on in the laws of God. In fact, the sixth commandment specifically declares, Thou shalt do no murder. In the New Testament, there are four great catalog lists of vices and sins and crimes. One is found in Matthew chapter 15. A second is found in Romans chapter 1. A third is in the fifth chapter of Galatians. And the fourth is found in that extended one-verse list in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. And in every one of these lists, murder looms large, occupying a place right in the center of the list. Well, here, quite obviously, the crime is not just physical murder, although it would and could include that. It is primarily by text and context recognizable as spiritual murder. And friends, that's where you and I, that's where we enter into the picture. The most devious, the most grievous crime that any human being could commit against another human being is the crime of spiritual murder. And that crime can be committed by anybody who does anything in any way to cause another human being to stay away from God or they do anything to cause that person to go away from God. Or it is committed by any believer who does not do everything in his or her power to reach the next person that they meet and impact that person's life for God. Now, do you have any idea what I just unloaded on you? Spiritual murder is committed by any believer who does not do everything in his or her power to reach the next person that he or she meets for God. All right, the second thing, and it grows in importance over the first one. The second thing is the criminals who are identified here. The crime that is specified is the crime of murder. And the criminals who are identified are spoken of as the company, can you believe it, of priests. Now that has a shocking sound to it. It has an awful ominous sound to it and it's an amazing accusation in fact it ought to cause a tremor among us if we were not so accustomed to hearing things designed to shock us in church and and things designed to shock us outside of church all the time you see the office of priest existed by divine appointing And by divine anointing. The priests were among the elect, the select group ordained by God to lead religiously the life of a nation. They were the very ones that you might least consider to be suspicious of such a crime as this. And who might most be considered to be above suspicion of such a crime as this. And the same thing is true this morning. Who are the priests of today? Are you ready for this? It won't shock us terribly, but it should. You and I, as Christians, are priests today. 
It's not just preachers. It's not just ministers. It's every believer. It's every Christian. In fact, no preacher is more a priest today than the most common believer among us. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, the dedication of the book of Revelation sounds like this. Unto him who loves us and loosed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us a kingdom of priests unto God and our Father, unto him be glory. You and I, dear Christians, fellow believers, we are priests unto God. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Fellow Christians, we are a royal priesthood. Now, what is a priest? A priest is a person who is ordained of God to enter in before God and function for himself and all others under his constituency before God in a responsible way for two things. First of all, to go before God and make himself and others presentable on God's terms. And then secondly, to go out and make God presentable to men on God's terms. In other words, a priest functions before God for men, and he functions before men for God. That's the calling. That's the office of a priest. In fact, the Latin word for priest is pontifex, and it means a bridge builder. And what a perfect picture that is. Every believer, every Christian in this auditorium this morning is to be constantly building bridges between people and God and between God and people in order that that person, those people, can come across that bridge in a right relationship with God and God having already established that in the person of Christ and use him to build that bridge, you're allowing people to come to know God through Jesus Christ by your profession of faith. And your acknowledgement and your announcement and your advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these are the people in our text who are indicted and who are charged with the capital crime of murder. Now, do I dare say this? I'm going to be brutally frontal, and I want us to face it that way this morning. When you go home today, go in the bathroom and look in the mirror and admit the accusation that you are a murderer. You see, I have the unpleasant task this morning of pointing out our responsibility See, we're always hearing about our privilege to witness, our privilege to share the gospel, our privilege and our calling to share our faith. But that doesn't seem to faze us very much. And I'll tell you, friends, when we stand before God, he isn't going to tell us much about our privileges. 
But he's going to hold an acquisition about our responsibility. See, the backside of privilege is responsibility. You cannot have privileges without having responsibility, even in salvation. I am a murderer. And I want to make a candid confession to you at this point. At any given moment, I can be victimized by any number of things into which I can fall, and I can fall very easily, and thus have absolutely no compassion on people around me who are lost and without Jesus Christ. Isn't that a sorry come to pass? But here's the sledgehammer, here's the bombshell. Our churches can go for years without ever within its populace of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who live next door to us. It's very interesting that the Christian community or what the Christian community is doing politically and sociologically in our country even today. And rightly so, but our voice is not nearly loud enough. But we're impugning and condemning and accusing, accusing viciously almost abortionists when we don't want that same finger of accusation of murder turned upon ourselves. And yet we are guilty of a greater murder than any abortionist who has ever been guilty of if if we fall into this text and this truth before us this morning, and we certainly do as Christians. Now, do we dare believe it? Well, I've got news for us. It's true whether we believe it or not. When I look into the mirror today, I am behooved also to look into my face And make the confession that I am a murderer. God says so. See, this is a murder that can be committed anywhere. Anywhere. It's often committed, can you believe it? In the home. Where parents try to justify what their children are doing or try to justify what their children are not doing by their lifestyle, which may be far removed from Christian ethics and Christian morals by brushing it off, brushing it aside and saying, oh, he's a good boy or she's a good girl. And in in effect, what they're doing is they're holding God off by the morality of their children. And do you know what is most amazing about Christian parents today? You won't believe it, but I'll risk it. Our standards for our children have been reduced into such mediocrity that we're not genuinely really interested any longer as to their being a Christian or compassionate or spiritual in God's name. We only want our children to be decent. And so if he is a good boy or if she is a good girl... We think the end result has been reached. It's been achieved. God help us. See, this is a murder that may be committed in the home. 
And many parents who think only about their child's financial or social or physical welfare and every other kind of welfare except this are sadly yet surely going to meet their children in hell. But not only that, this is a murder that can be committed in the church. Did you know that many of the churches, the church services in our Southern Baptist churches all across this state next Sunday will be celebrations of murder? Why? Because not one person in those congregations had any intent of reaching out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with one other person outside that congregation all week long. See, we can go for years without doing it. Friends, what can we possibly tell God when we assemble together and we try to make ourselves feel good in his presence when we've been guilty of murder? How can we possibly act as if nothing is wrong on the outside when so many people are just waiting on the edge of eternity without God for us to share the words of eternal life with them? We are guilty, folks, of the greater sin when we know the truth, and yet we do not offer it to others who need it just as bad as we needed to get in on it. This is a crime that can be committed in all of our daily contacts. You see, anytime I have the opportunity, and I'm talking about in a moment, in a momentary occasion, to share Jesus Christ with someone, if I do not do it, then my hands drip red with the blood of murder. I can't help but think back, as all of us do from time to time, about my own conversion experience when I actually came to trust and receive and acknowledge Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I think about those key people that God put in my life's path to simply speak a word of truth in love to me to assist me to coming to Jesus Christ. And there, there were countless times that I squirmed and I scoffed under the vice of conviction. But you know what? I was too clever to reveal that, as most of us are. Like most people who begin to be in the throes of conviction. But they never let you know they are. See, when God begins to set his hook in someone... The fish wants to run off, of course, right? Wants to run the other way. And will fight to get away. And we ought to remember that. Anytime we have somebody right at that point, and they show antagonism, and they show belligerence, we ought to remember that it's the last struggles of a person being brick-batted into death and then into life by the Holy Spirit of God unto Jesus Christ the Savior. But on September the 23rd, 1979, God brought me to that threshold of passing out of and into 
And I said yes to Jesus, and I desperately needed it. And the housewarming of all housewarmings took place in my spirit. And Jesus came in and saved me from my sins forever. And I can't help but think and wonder what would have happened to me humanly if those individuals had not spoken the words, had not spoken the sentences that they did to me. Well, it would have made all of those people murderers. That's hard to believe. It's hard for us to face. It's hard for us to deal with, but it's still true. So that means that every moment of encounter that you have, that's the way the gospel is designed by God to get out of you into someone else. Folks, we don't have to worry about our institutions. We don't have to worry about our buildings or anything, whether they're going well or not. If there's a potential, if there's a possible person there that we can capture for God. You see, we're God's charge. And so our institutions are God's charge. And if that is if they're proper before him. And if they're not proper before God, they need to die. They need to close up. But he'll take care of those otherwise. So we don't have to worry about those things. Just find the next person that you can be used of God to impact that person's, those people's lives. And they're all around you. You don't have to look far. And in doing that, ask God to deliver you from the guilt of bloody hands. So this is indeed a crime that can be committed anywhere at any time by any believer. And it can go so undetected so that even though we may know we're doing it in a mild way, we can easily try to hide it under all the coverings of the work that we think we're doing. So there's a crime specified here. There are criminals identified here. And then there is number three, a cruelty that is signified here. And friends, here is the biggest shocker of all because it's here that we find the cruel weapon that is used in perpetrating this crime. And I want to forewarn you, the the crime seems to be so guilty, but the weapon seems to be so innocent. You see, it doesn't seem possible to commit such a crime as murder with such an innocent weapon as consent so just listen to it again the company of priests that's you and I commit murder in the way that means in our daily normal commerce our traffic our contacts we commit murder in the way by consent now do you know why that seems so innocent because consent doesn't require any thought Consent requires no commitment. It requires no assault. It requires no seriousness. It it requires no bother. It can be given by mere indifference or inactivity or apathy 
or lack of involvement. It's given by the sad indifference of our lifestyle and by the shameful silence of our life. So that the silence of Christians is basically consigning a lost world to hell. You see, we've created those towers of silence in which we live. While the world bleeds and dies needing Jesus. Yet there's no sin more cruel to other people or more dangerous to ourselves than the sin of murder by consent. I'm talking about spiritual indifference. Do you recall that awful line that the priest actually spoke when Judas went back to those representatives of religion hoping to find relief after his crime of betraying Jesus and he took those pieces of silver and he flung them down across the cold stones of the temple floor and he said, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Have you ever wondered how the story would read if one of those priests had said the right thing to Judas? What if they had said, look here, it says in Isaiah, and that's from our standpoint today. But it says in Isaiah, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. For though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But we don't have any record of any one of those priests saying anything like that to Judas. What if they had said, as did Job, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace, and thereby good shall come unto thee. But they didn't say anything like that. Suppose they had said, I will blot out as a thick cloud your sin, saith the Lord. And as a cloud, your transgressions. But they didn't say anything like that. Do you recall what they did say when Judas said, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood? Here's what they said. What's that to us? You take care of it. You made your bed. You lie in it now. You you dug your own grave. Now you fall into it. You take the responsibility for yourself. And the final picture is that we see Judas hanging at the end of a suicidal rope simply because they did not, as religious leaders, have compassion enough to not be guilty of murder. But here's the one that hits closer to home. Remember that man who lived like Jesus and died like Jesus? And was put on trial in Acts chapter 7. His name was Stephen. He's the martyr prototype of all Christian martyrs. When he came to die, they said his face shone like an angel. And he looked up and saw Jesus standing up to welcome him home at the right hand of God. And he said as he was dying, just like Jesus did. Father, lay not this sin to their charge. And then that seventh chapter of Acts closes, but chapter 8 opens with this line. Listen carefully. 
It says, and Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. It's the word that translates into our language to give consent. But the root word is the word for casting a ballot. Saul actually voted by consent to let Stephen be put to death. Well, Satan is pushing people toward hell even now as if he had a handle on them. And he leads them over to that precipice. And then he nudges them over into the edge into everlasting torment. And we, in effect, as Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ, we're standing by consenting. That's all we have to do. And we're as guilty as if we did it ourselves. All day long, all the time. Folks, there are multitudes all around us, even among us, who are stepping closer with each breath they take, with each day they live, stepping closer and closer and closer to an eternal hell. And we, as Christians, as the church, we just act as if nothing is wrong. And we simply stand by and we let them go on and on and on. And we never so much as even open our mouth to speak a word of Jesus to them. What in the world are we going to tell God when it's all over? Friends, I'm embarrassed to say this to you this morning. What am I going to tell God when it's all over? I want to spend some time. I need to spend some time. I'm going to spend some time with him and get this issue cleared up and straightened out. And friends, it... It really doesn't matter, doesn't make any difference how far along you are in your Christian life. If your heart's full of compassion, I glory in that. You pray for the rest of us that we'll get to that point. Because there are many here this morning who in these terms are not. And I'm not saying you don't care. I haven't said that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying we don't care. But our care becomes a hiding place by which we give consent to people to remain lost if we do not contact and impact as many as possible to speak to them about Jesus. Those wonderful words of life. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads together with me. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask if you will this morning, right now, just begin to do business with God. And I feel like you do. This, this is a strange text. And the message has been awkwardly presented. But I will risk that if God can reach someone's heart with a new sense of responsibility about lost people. He certainly reached mine. You see, this is not by intent that we let people go to hell. The text says it's by consent. And there's a world of difference between the two. And all of this is in light of the backdrop of eternity. And every person you meet in your lifetime will either... Be in heaven with Jesus 
or they'll be in hell without Jesus forever. God help us to have real passion, to have real compassion for people who are lost. Would you deal with that issue right now? See, we, we talk about following Christ. We say we're followers of Christ. He said, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. How many people have you caught for Christ? See, something's wrong with our following if we're not doing that. When was the last time you saw someone walk these church aisles broken inside over sin, over self, because of our evangelistic efforts? Father, I pray that you this morning would speak to our hearts. Father, that we would do business with you. We would settle this issue. Father, tear down our towers of silence. Give our lives to you as your people afresh and anew beginning today in this place. To have compassion and passion upon those people who are lost. Even among our own families. Our church family, our community. Father, where we live, next door, up, down the street. Across this state, across this nation, around the world. Father, let us get on our heart what you have on your heart beginning today as never before. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen. Ethan's going to lead us as we sing. Our pastor will be here at front. You just be obedient to what God places in your heart. And I pray that he does place something in your heart today. To make this right between you and him, between other people that you come in contact with every day. To make impact for Christ for God's glory, for their good. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.